and you're listening to my brother podcast working with your hands is not something too many people find fanciful uh particularly when you look at the construction industry however the construction industry is such a critical part of the american economy and really the global economy as a whole my guest today is jeff weber president of altair strickland construction company Jeff, um, delighted to have you on today. Would you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you arrived uh, at this point today? Well, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to you kind of share my story and I can hear a little bit more about uh, the My Brother platform and what you're trying to do with this. Very exciting. You know, I'm simply Jeff Weber. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have a bachelor's in uh, bachelor's of Science in Construction Management from Oklahoma State University, go Pokes, and uh, received my MBA from the University of Houston sometime after that. I run, as, as Lalu mentioned, I run an industrial construction services business. Our primary focus is in the refining and petrochemical arena. Uh, so we, we do maintenance and large-scale revamps within those facilities. So it's been a challenging time for us, as you would expect. Uh, that's that's kind of what I do more more than what I who I am. I'm a son, father, husband, brother, friend. Uh, I've I've been a sponsor and I've been sponsored. I've been a, I've been a mentor and I've been mentee. I've been the mentee. That kind of uh, puts together the puzzle of who I think that I am and who I am. Each one of those is a very important piece. Removing one of them would change the narrative about who I am. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I look forward to talking more as we go through the, uh, the process today. Excellent, fantastic, Jeff. So let me start by, let's talk about your upbringing. You, you grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What was that like? Uh, it was interesting. You know, anybody that knows a little bit about uh, African-American history, you know, certainly uh, in the United States, uh, you'd be remiss if you stopped at slavery, right? I think if you, you you go forward uh, some number of years, you'll learn more about um, what's called Black Wall Street, uh, one of the more prosperous uh, areas um, in history uh, for the African-American until the, the riots and the massacre in 1921. Growing up in Tulsa, they never talked about that, that, that none of our schools taught us about that. Uh, but fortunately, I had some relatives who were young children at the time, and so they, they could share some of the stories. So that was very amazing to look back on, and I cherish those memories. It was, you know, it was a quiet city at the time. Um, my mother and I, uh, for the first, call it decade, um, uh, 11 years of my life, you know, my mother uh, was, was, was the person that raised me. You know, she was very courageous in leaving a bad marriage, and and that uh, uh, put me on a trajectory to where I am today. She fortunately, you met a met a guy who's my pops to this day. He helped raise me, put me through school, um, and showed me how um, uh, men should be, you know, with their families, be present, uh, be a provider, be a protector, and and help us along the way. And that that was an amazing time. They're going to celebrate 40 years of marriage in July. And so, but the upbringing was great. Just, you know, I never knew I was poor or, or uh, anything like that until I grew up and somebody told me I was, you know, my, my life was rich uh, with, uh, you know, Christ, uh, Christian values and a lot of friends and never wanted for anything. Um, went, went to school and um, just like any other, any other childhood, I guess. So talk to me a little bit about Pops. You've, um, you mentioned he came into your life around the time you were 11, yeah. which obviously you can, I can only imagine you're going through that transformation from being sort of a toddler to becoming a teen. <laughs> and right. to now have this uh, new father figure and who really much, very much became a father. 
come into your life? What were those what were those years like? You know, the, the dynamics of your relationship and just externally to that, what your experiences were like as a teenager in Tulsa. You know, there's this thing um, you call the speed of trust, right? And I think that, you know, I trusted, you know, my mom um, unconditionally. Uh, she would talk to me about um, pops before she really brought him into my space as a as a as a young um, young boy, because she wanted to make sure that you know he was the right kind of person um, to have her child around. And and uh, so to her credit, you know, there's a lot of vetting that she had to do, and he he just it was like hand in glove. You know, he. He had been married before, but he had he had daughters. He never had a you know kind of a son, and, and so he took to that like a, you know like a fish takes to water, and and was very uh, instrumental in um, helping me grow as a man and see how a man should treat a woman and and how the family unit should work together. And it was a, just an amazing time. And mm -hmm. so he gave me a lot of advice, uh, either through his actual words or me watching his actions, you know, that, that spoke volumes as well. And so it helped me to navigate, you know, some of the dangers and pitfalls that, uh, you know, teenagers uh, will ultimately run across and they have to make a decision to go right or go left or, or to avoid, uh, you know, certain bad situations. And through his counsel, uh, through his example, he was able to help me navigate those minds of teenage uh, life. Yeah, yeah. So as you went through, you know, obviously post-teenage life, you stayed close to home to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know exactly how far um, Oklahoma is. It's, it's about 75, 80 miles. 75, you know, so right up far. the road. Yeah. Um, and Tulsa is a fairly decent sized city. So you actually were moving to perhaps a smaller city, I would, mm -hmm. uh, I would, I would suppose. What, what were those collegiate years like it was it was really great you know i was um fortunate enough to um really know what i wanted to do by the time i was a freshman in high school and yeah. and, and and that you know as i've grown i mean i just kind of thought that's the way it was but as so i've what, grown what, what was that thing that you knew you wanted to do well i want I, well i wanted to be an architect right so instead of being an architect i'm still involved what i really found out to be once i kept digging uh, um, through that uh, initial thought i found out that i just loved construction i loved seeing um, nothing turn into something and being a part of that um, and i look at it like you know a symphony right you have a, a leader or a conductor and you have uh, the horns that have their place. You have the string instruments that have their place. You have the percussions that have their place. And none of them can do it alone. And they have to do it in sync and in time for it to sound right. And so I saw construction that way. I, I saw it as you got your civil contractors, you have your brick masons, you have your drywall people. None of them can do the other, but they all work together to, to make something beautiful. And so as an architect, I thought that's what I wanted to be. Uh, but then once uh, I got to school, realized um, that, you know, my passion was more along the the building side. I, I moved uh, to that to that field of construction. Now, you know, back to your question, you know, what was it like? Uh, my freshman year, like most um, freshmen, a lot of freshmen anyway, I wanted to go home every weekend. I, I tried to go back as much as I possibly could. But as time went on, uh, my mom would have to beg me to come home, uh, you know, outside of the holidays, because simply I immersed myself into the the college life. Um, um, I was fortunate enough again to really, you know, my graduating class, you know, Booker T. Washington High School class of '88, we ended up taking several uh, individuals from that class, and they enrolled in Oklahoma State as well. So I had kind of a, a microcosm of my whole high school experience that went with me and we just built upon uh, those relationships we had in high school and it grew from there and we're friends uh, to this day a lot of those folks were at my uh, 50th birthday party in november and those those relationships date back to um you know middle school you know seventh and eighth grade and 
in high school and certainly on to college. So it's been an amazing uh, experience you know, being surrounded by people and have some consistency in your relationships with good people who have your best interest uh, in mind along and I have their best interests um, in, in mind as well as we move through this life. Yes, so, you know, and that's, that is essential. Relationships are a key currency in life and, and in life's journey. Uh, you go off to Oklahoma State, you've got sort of your posse and you guys are there to find each other. Uh, beyond immersing yourself in the college experience, uh, what were some of the things that, that led or helped you be successful uh, along the way in your academic pursuits? Um, and what, what from your background might have uh, created that platform or foundation for you? Well, I'll just have to say that, um, you know, my, my, my home life, um, my, my parents, I was thinking, as I was thinking about some of these, some of the questions, some of the thoughts we we're going to have today, I, I really can say that in all, in all my 50 years, I'm 50 years old, there is, I, I cannot remember a conversation, a serious conversation with my parents that was them pouring any kind of negativity into my spirit. You know, all they did was pour positivity into me as a young boy, uh, as a teenager, as a young adult, and now as, you know, as a grown middle-aged man. It's always been, um, it's always come from the spirit of positivity and always, you know, having support uh, for what, you know, I want to do and you know giving me recognition and, and and also wherever they could you know, give me an opportunity uh, example you know when i was a freshman in high school i told you i wanted to be an architect right mm -hmm. fast forward to my junior year and we were building a new home you know my mom was so excited about the fact that i wanted to be an architect and you know, she literally came to you know this 16 17 year old kid say hey, look will you review these plans and provide any <laughs> comments back to the architect right and so, and so I did that, right? I went through, I, I, I made some comments here, there, and, you know, you know, fast forward, you know, they're still living in that same home. And my mother to this day tells the story about how her baby boy, uh, you know, helped design the home that they live in. She tells it with the same amount of enthusiasm today as she did 30 plus years ago. And so I think, when when you see uh, that positive 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 energy uh you experience that level of uh undying support uh certainly they're going to you know help you knock off the rough edges edges but they're going to support you and your passion once they see that pour positivity into you and, and certainly give you an opportunity to to be the best person you can be you know only thing i have to do is really just kind of show up right and mm -hmm. i think that um, that's been an amazing, has, has, uh, has had a profound impact on everything that I do in life and how I engage and approach others, um, uh, in my own family as well. And, and people that I come in contact with is to give them that positive energy back, um, support them in their passionate pursuits and, and, and where I can, you know, provide an opportunity. And so that's really kind of the three things that. Uh, that come to mind when you ask that question. Were there any hurdles when you were in college uh, that you experienced and what, what sort of helped you um, overcome the hurdles? <clears throat> well, sure. I think, um, you know, you know, we all, we sometimes, um, you know, as we're trying to find our way, we, um, we think we want to do something, but we will we ultimately end up back where we where we are. And so, some of those things for me uh, were, you know, in some ways, I struggled with this notion of the absentee father, if that makes sense. And I couldn't understand um, at the time thinking about what well, was I as a child not worthy, right? And I think that that bothered me for some time. Um, and then I guess the other thing, uh, one of the other hurdles that I had to get over once I got out of school was, you know, kind of this stigma 
of, of what I call youth and experience, right? People don't think uh, if you're too young, you, you can't offer, you know, much to the table because you don't have the experience, right? I guess then the other thing is is more kind of stepping out of the shadows of people who've been maybe been your mentor or your sponsor and you know maybe un unintentionally or intentionally taking credit for things that you've done and you didn't necessarily um, get the recognition for those things which ultimately builds on you know how you're going to be viewed and how you're going to advance in life so when you talk about college you know i i got um the challenge was never school for me um, um the challenge for me was um you know, being interested in things that I thought were, you know, relatively, relatively simple to do. Um, so I would find myself not uh, putting as much effort in as I look back, right? Putting as much effort in as I, as I possibly could have, right? And so that's the learning that I got out of the experience. I did enough to graduate. I did enough to, to so when I talk to my kids now, I always tell them, look, you're much smarter than I was at, at your age. Don't blow it, right? You have more opportunities than I had at your age. Don't blow it. And then they challenge me, well, dad, if I was smart, I'll say, well, look, I've made it, right? So <laughs> you can't do what I do, right? You got you to, gotta, it's more, as I say. You, gotta, you gotta stay focused and, and do what I say. And so, so the thing of it is, is that, you know, in my soul though, was the absentee father, right? Cause I, I would think about that, even though I love pops and he, he loved me and he took care of me and he helped me and he raised me, it, it's just something about that, right? And so later on in life, I was able to reconcile those feelings and, and, and really have a conversation with my biological dad about that. And it was pretty telling, we, maybe we'll talk about that if we have some time. Mm -hmm. um, but the youth and experience one carried on from college into my first couple of jobs is that um, you know, I was doing the same work, um, but getting paid less money simply because I was young. And how I overcame that is that I, I looked at the facts and it wasn't a situation where this person was a manager or, or a supervisor. They were the same level, but they just got more money. And so I just presented those facts. I wasn't emotional. I didn't get upset. I presented those facts and it wasn't a threat. It was just here are the facts. What are you going to do about it? By the time they, they did, the, did something about it, I'd already made a decision to leave. And so, you know, that made the, made its own decision for itself. So I guess, you know, how I would characterize those two things is that, look, you know, just, you know, stick to the facts and make your decisions based on that, as opposed to making decisions based on an emotional outburst. Now, you know, stepping out of the shadow is kind of the same thing. You know, it's, it's not a be sure you keep score because somebody's keeping score, in my opinion. I think that you can be you can have some humility about it. Don't be uh, I don't think that folks should brag. And I never was that type of person. I just simply let my work product speak for itself. But people had to know that that work product was coming from me. Right. Mm -hmm. In order to, to see that uh, I'm just not. Um, you know, a Robin, right? I can be Batman too. And so yeah. that was that was more of, you know, how I did that. I just started to uh, make sure that I was the one being recognized for whatever the initiative was or whatever the um, the thing was, uh, I got the, the credit. You know, it's not, again, it's, you know, somebody's keeping score. So you need to keep score too. Jeff, that's such a poignant observation particularly the fact that you sort of uh, dealt with that earlier in your career. Uh, I think it's a difficulty that a lot of people have even later in their career because to a degree uh, you're, you're brought up on this notion that life is a meritocracy. So if you're doing the work, uh, you know, what's due to you will come to you, particularly when you get sort of the African-American experience where you're repeatedly told, hey, you've got to work twice as hard. And if you do all those things and you toe the line in due time, you too will get a shot. I think it's remarkable that early in your career, you were able to, you know, reconcile and ascertain what 
steps you needed to take to, you know, be your own best advocate. I, I don't, was that something innate? Was it learned? Or, and and as you know, answer that, how can other people embrace that same ideology and mindset? It's interesting. I think that um, I'm not going to say, you know, certainly everybody has, everybody stands on someone's shoulders, right? Wherever it is, either it's, either it's in business or, or something that gives you the the courage, you know, outside of your business environment to go do those things. Um, I think that for me, uh, I was blessed. Uh, I was really blessed and fortunate to have some really uh, early on, some really developmental opportunities that not everybody will see or, you know, within call it six months out of college, right? You know, literally, you know, six months out of college. Well, first of all, I, I left, I graduated May of 93, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I started my first job in Houston, Texas, June 1st, 1993. I stayed in a hotel for 30 days um, because I didn't have enough money to uh, get my first and last month's rent. Uh, and I was determined not to ask my parents for any more, any more money after they, you know, allowed me to leave. Uh, graduate from college owing less than $2,000 in loans. And so uh, I said to myself, that wasn't going to be an, an option. And so therefore I make those sacrifices. Now, you know, you know, moving on uh, within six months, uh, my, my boss says, okay, we have this amazing opportunity for you to go to work in Galveston, which was about an hour away. And you're going to work with one of our best project managers. You're going to learn from him going to be his right hand man. I said, oh man, I was excited. It was great. Okay. So I, I take that position. I go down to this project. It's about an $11 million job. And, um, which is huge. I mean, for yeah, someone is, six months yeah, out of college. Yeah, yeah. Very, very first time. And I was, I was, I was, in, you know, so the way they have it, you have a you have the project manager, then you have the, the entry level person, you have the superintendent that runs the stuff in the field. I was the entry level, you know, person. And, uh, within three to four weeks of me arriving, the project manager quits the company, right? And so at, at 20, 23 years old, no, sorry, 22, I was thrust into essentially the person that was responsible for the office work, right? And, and, and coordinating the subcontractors, making sure we get paid, all these things stuff that I wouldn't have been exposed to other on a limited basis if there's a project manager there. And so, you know, I think that, you know, they say God looks down on the children and fools that I, I have, I wasn't a child. So you, 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 you take it from there, but I had the opportunity to really lead and early on. And so they ended up having a project manager just come in once a month to just check up on things. And so I was the de facto project manager for the job right out of school. And that project manager, um, you know, really taught me things that I still use today, 25 years later. He happened to be an Oklahoma State grad. And so we had a, had a automatic connection. He taught me things uh, and took, um, I guess he took time to mentor me and to he took time and, and pride in helping me develop as a professional. And I think that that set the course for how I would engage with everyone else throughout my career for you know for the rest of my career. How I, I engage with people who work for me, he gave a great example, or how I engage with people that I worked for, he gave a great example. My expectations of them as a mentor my expectations of, of them as a sponsor and what I would pour into those individuals I had the fortune to be a mentor for or a sponsor for. And so that really set the table. So I think it's I think it's critical, just like in life. It's critical. Those formative years as a toddler, as an individual um, within your family, that's that's a critical time. And I think those formative years in your career, um, just like when you're a kid, that's a very critical time because it's going to set the table uh, for how um, you engage going forward, and it'll it'll help the trajectory of your life one way or the other. And that and that was really, really how you know what set me on my path. Uh, that 
that that uh, what was perceived at the time for me a disaster, and and I was fearful, had all those had all those thoughts. I didn't want to screw up. Um, ended up being a blessing, and 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 the lessons that I you know had to bump my head on, uh, make mistakes, um, really helped in my development uh, over time, and I've been able to share that with others uh, over time. Just an amazing experience. Yeah, that, that is quite uh, remarkable, Jeff. Uh, would you remind me, was your degree in construction science? Construction management is what they call it at Oakland State. And I think that other other schools call it construction science. Um, other schools call it building science, uh, but construction management. And how I got there is interesting. How I got there, I was, I was going to do, do architecture, but my first roommate was an architecture major, and I never saw him. And I was like, where are you? He goes, I'm in the studio sleeping in the studio work and so then i said okay well how much do architects make right and that was, my, my my decision tree was pretty simple they didn't really make a lot and and at first and i was like okay well let me look at some other things i looked at mechanical um and that really wasn't my passion then i said well what's what's close to architecture and i looked at construction and one they had a 95 plus percent you know uh, graduation rate and the same rate of employment within your field of study. And so that made it very easy uh, for me to take that two job offers before I even graduated. So that made it very easy for me to uh, take that. And it was a great, um, it was close to architecture, so. Right, so so you, you, you get this incredible opportunity within your first job. Are you at liberty to share what company that was? Yeah, sure, it was a Manhattan construction company. You, know, okay. you may be familiar with them. They built the uh, football stadium for the Texans and the Dallas Cowboys. And so their their claim to fame these days is uh, they build sports facilities and prisons and schools. Yeah. They build some schools too. <laughs> but they're a much larger company than they've been around over 100 years. Uh, they're, they're based out of Oklahoma at the time. And uh, mm -hmm. but they're a very, very well-respected company. Got it. So how long were you there? And, and in spite, I mean, so part of what, what we what I try to help people understand our, our, our listeners and viewers in particular is you know there's certain tangibles and intangible factors that that you know lead or, or make up and comprise what our story becomes uh, having a project manager leave abruptly and you being presented this unique opportunity but I think you know people will tell you that success is where preparation meets opportunity the question is, what are the things that you had done to sort of prepare yourself and put yourself in a position to thrive at that phase of your career? Right. So it, it was, and I agree with that, uh, the, that uh, the narrative around um, success is where the opportunity preparedness intersect. Uh, I, I prepare myself through, you know, uh, the, the construction management degree. Um, and, I, and I knew that I always wanted to be in and around construction married with a business element. And so I think that uh, the role as the de facto project manager gave me more of the, the business side or, or kind of the philosophy around project management, not just you know how things go together, but how do you convince an owner one way or the other to make it beneficial for you as a contractor? Uh, and how do you uh, really contract with your subcontractors, really getting on the business side of the swing and the hammer, right? And so that was the part that, um, you know, uh, I was always interested in. I was always in interested in, you know, kind of the art of project management, you know, you know the, the soft skills, you know, being able to manage risk, uh, being able to understand risk, both through, um, you know, contract management as well as managing people. Uh, and engaging with people and helping to develop teams. And so that, to me, um, you know, I think that passion uh, around um, uh, those kinds of things really helped me. Uh, and, I, and I would just tell whoever would listen to me is that, you know, um, you have to be, pa I, I believe that every successful person you know, has a passion for what they do. I think that, well, let me just say this, the odds are better that you're going to be successful if you have a passion for what you do. And I, I, I definitely had a passion for that. So I was, I was trying to learn things, not just on the job, but I was trying to understand 
um, you know, how the other side of the table thought about what I was going to present to them so I could have uh, a good retort or, or uh, a pivot uh, to get it into a place that's more of a compromise. And that's what really contracting is. You know, they, they architect may want it to, to be blue. Uh, we ordered it. It comes back kind of blue, but not really. So I have to convince him that it's okay, that it's not exactly, you know, how he wanted it, right? Because it's going to cost me as a contractor more money to send it back and start over. And so the bottom line is daily we were doing these kinds of things, you know, or something interfered because we were trying to uh, renovate and go into an existing building. So it didn't always work like the architect drew it, even though he said, well, it works, but it doesn't work. You know, and so we have to negotiate and talk through those things. And so my passion for coming to a compromise or a, uh, a position that everyone can uh, be somewhat happy with, um, you know, helped me uh, to be successful as a contractor. So after that first job and those unique experiences, what happens next? What was sort of the next? uh phase of your developmental growth yeah so i, I went you know finished that job it was, it was successful ended up getting assigned to a job at um, uh, it was a metro a metro facility uh, up north uh, again same role uh, but i had a little more uh, seniority because we brought in some more entry-level folks uh, i just you know i'd worked uh, while i was in college i did an internship in with Floor Daniel, which was more of an industrial construction um, company, and I really enjoyed the industrial side. And they could be, you know, you look at construction. I know construction is construction, but you know, real estate construction is completely different from industrial. Industrial is completely different from commercial. They're all construction, but they're they couldn't be any more different in you know, how they view, um, you know, safety, uh, how they view uh pay scales uh and the industrial side you know just quite frankly was a better financial opportunity for me and so once i got to um metro uh, i started i started building that metro is a great experience great people work for manhattan's a great company i started to see you know the disparities you really had to work you know 80 hours 75 80 hours to really just kind of keep up with that process but you your pay didn't, you know, didn't equate to that. And so that didn't really have a long shelf life for me as an individual, you know, so uh, because I wasn't, it wasn't moving fast enough uh, from a financial side for me. Uh, so went there, had a, had a great, um, great experience, learned, learned in that experience, uh, but ended up leaving the company, you know, while I was at, um, at Metro. And I, that was after about three, three years without with uh with manhattan about three years in manhattan mm -hmm. then i went to work for limbeck i'm just kind of going on to the next part of the story but limbeck was in uh, uh out of there out of fort worth they're the large large uh, commercial builder they do a lot of private work uh, for the bass family up in uh, fort worth and also um uh, uh, hospital facilities and i was assigned to that i was made promises that i would have more of a you know, kind of a promotion, um, you know, senior project engineer role um, that never came to fruition. So I was only there for a year, and um, I left there, and I, I decided to just you know, really make a bet on myself, and I um, um, went and decided to work contract for a year, and I did that, you know, with no benefits no real clarity of where my next position would be uh, and that was in baton rouge moved to baton rouge uh, did that and it was the best decision i ever made in my life and um, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life uh, got there um, did that job and made a lot of money uh, as a 20 something at the time and um, had an interview with a person to set up my next contract role, and before you, you before you tell us about the next, could you share a bit about how you got that opportunity and what kind of project was it? 
Yeah, so it was a it was a uh, revamp project within an industrial facility. It was working for SMB uh, engineers and constructors there out of here, out of Houston. How I got that project, a headhunter called me. I got called by a headhunter. Uh, they told me about the opportunity. It was significantly more money financially for me, uh, but it, but but the trade off was that uh, you wouldn't have benefits, you know, company benefits, uh, and. You, I don't know where your next job is, right? And so, and so uh, I thought about it and I said, well, I'm young, I can travel. Uh, all I have to worry about is me right now. And so uh, I took a chance on that. Um, and that's what I always tell people is that, you know, it, when you have the opportunity to advance and uh, travel, uh, see different things, you really try to explore that uh, before you decide to kind of settle down and, um, and, and do this. So that's what I did. And it was a great opportunity for me. And it was a, a large scale revamping industrial space. And I've been in the industrial space ever since, you know, since in 19, was it 98? So uh, that is, um, it was a great opportunity for me. Um, and it was over in Louisiana, um, guys from Louisiana area. Um, I left. And then after there, you know, so I was talking about that interview It's kind of you yeah. think about those times in your life where you really you know, kind of took control uh, of your career. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that was this particular time I was trying to get my next position um, and had an interview with an individual who I didn't know at the time was really the owner of that company of, at the time. And uh, like I end every kind of conversation uh, or question and answer, I said to him, well, did I answer your questions? And he, and he sat, stood there for a second. He goes, well, no, not really. And so, so I was like, okay, uh, because I felt like I was a you know, pretty, you know, pretty articulate. I was kind of feeling myself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, my response was, was simple. I didn't get emotional about it. I just simply told him, I said, well, well, that's unfortunate. Um, I know this position. I know the work that's required. Uh, I know I can do it. And I know I'm the right person. And I, I just told him, I said, well, if if you um, at some point in the future, um, you think my skill sets match up with what you're looking for, you know how to get in touch with me. And that's how we ended the interview. And I thought I would never hear from him again. About two to three months later, he called me and offered me a position. And um, that position was a contract position. It was temporary. Um, but that temporary position led to where I am today. Uh, because on that project, which was in Memphis, it was a large scale uh, project that never had never been done in uh, the time frame that it was done in. It was a, a 21 day, what we call turnaround in our term. Um, large scale construction project. I was assigned to it um, as the project controls lead, which was the person that puts together the schedule, uh, the cost, the cost associated with the budget, uh, as well as forecasting, um, you know, how it's going to end uh, throughout the course of the project. So it's a pretty decent position. I was there. Uh, it was very, uh, very successful job. And I met uh, Jerry Strickland. Uh, so the Strickly, the Strickland side of Alter Strickland. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was uh, assigned to them on a contract basis. But you know, we we really hit it off. I really hit it off with uh, the then operations manager for Alter Strickland. Um, after that job was over, I went home and, and scared my parents to death uh, because I decided to take two months off. I made a lot. I made enough money to be able to do that. Okay. Uh, they they were afraid that I was going through some sort of crisis, but they they always said that we we stopped worrying when you didn't ask us for money. So yeah. that, that ended up being a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Then I was yeah. hired back for Alter uh, permanently back in the early part of uh, I'm sorry, late part of '99, and I've been here ever since. Yeah, and that's uh, that's truly remarkable. And I know that's sort of a, a punctuating point in your career 
but in between those times, because I think so many people go through that experience where you find yourself in limbo and no looking back in hindsight and you tell them the story. It sounds like it was just all hunky dory. Did you call you? No. Did a project, so no. on and so forth. But you probably did something to put yourself out there for that recruiter to find you. You might have been looking for other gigs that weren't quite working out. You might have turned down, you know, some opportunities that, you know, someone who uh, might have been more in a haste might not have been diligent enough to uh, sidestep. What are some of those things? What, what, what were some challenges or difficulties, uh, no matter how trivial they might seem, that you yeah. experienced, you know, during that phase of your career before you sort of, you know, reached yeah. this planet point? So this is a great question. So the you know, kind of the catalyst for me to even start looking uh, from the Baton Rouge was that you know I, I really didn't get to have a good feel for the relationship between the company I was working for and that owner uh, at the time. And as I look back, and, and shortly thereafter, there was a you know big lawsuits um, that uh, that came as a result of that project. And so it was not a good, good look and meaning that despite you as an individual, right, and how you do, despite all that, people are going to look at that project and say that project was terrible. So basically, a lot of people or most of the people that are part of that project get painted with the same brush, no matter, you know, how well they may have done as an individual, they are looked at um, as the collective. And so that is something that you that can weigh on you throughout the rest of your career. And so as I read the tea leaves at the time, I really didn't feel comfortable with one, how the contractor I worked for was engaging with the customer and how they were, you know, telling the story. Right. So just give you an, give you um, an example. One day. We, you know, the, the, the project controls lead goes in and tells him, hey, we're going to be um, $5 million over budget. Okay. Two days later, it's $10 million, right? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, why is it jump so fast? And seems like there should have been some incremental <laughs> warning in between. And so it just did not, didn't feel comfortable. You know, so, so the lesson there for, for me anyway was, you know, trust your gut, you know, look at the facts for where they are. Uh, don't be emotional about it and make a decision that you feel is best for you. And know that in a team, the results of the team are, are going to be painted on every all the team members. So think back when you were in college, Alou, I'm sure you had some group projects where you had one bonehead that didn't, didn't do anything, right? They still got an A, right? Still got it because they're part of the team. Yeah. But then, if if you know the team fails, you could be a star, and you're going to fail as a because you're part of that team. And so that's the way that I saw it, and so that's why I started looking for other uh, opportunities. But so that was really kind of the the one major hurdle. The other thing I think it's just the um the uncertainty and and just kind of the doubt. And I think that everyone who uh, makes a decision um, that places them in a in a what could be viewed as a uh, a not so stable uh, environment, you're certainly going to have some uncertainty and second guess yourself in those quiet times. Uh, but as you reflect, you look and you say, "Well, you know, why did I doubt it? Why did I? Why was I fearful?" So at the time, yes. And so I think you know. Um, given the advantage of history and knowing how it kind of plays out, I did kind of overlook those issues because now I look at them and say, well, man, those are really, um, they could have been challenging at the time, but as I look back at them, it wasn't that big of a, you know, big of a leap. But at the time, sure, they were, they were, they were huge uh, hurdles and concerns of mine. Uh, but again, I just had to worry about Jeff, Jeffrey at the time. I didn't have a family. Um, you know, you know, some of those things that um, um, I would have had to consider at the time, I, if I did have a family, I, I, I just simply didn't have those, uh, 
those bars uh, to, to making those taking those chances. So you've been at Altia Strickland for quite a while now, and it's mm -hmm. been in leadership for quite a number of years. What happens next after you get hired on permanently? What ultimately leads to your current role as yeah. Man, yeah. the guy? And so, and so, what's what's interesting yeah. is that in, in uh, at the time, you know, these are these are entrepreneurs, right? So they only knew one way to do things. And even though I was wasn't even thirty years old yet, I had seen it done a lot of different ways because I had seen you know, two or three different companies at the time. So I was able to pick and choose the things that were good and leave the things that were bad that were bad back you know, back with those companies. And so it was amazing to see you know uh, these guys. They've been in business call it 30, let's see, almost 30 years at the time. And so I had some frustration uh, after about two years. Um, and so in two or three years, so in 02, I wrote this letter uh, to uh, Jerry Strickland and I put together uh, an outline and I told him what I thought was, you know, my assessment of every area of the business and none of it was emotional. None of it was made up. It was all facts. It was it was stuff that you know he had complained about, or I had seen in my role, or we we both knew uh, was a was a problem area. And so I think I was the only person that had ever kind of told him, "Hey, you know the baby's ugly," and we and I I didn't just uh, find the problems. I told him that. I was up for the task uh, to find the solutions. And, and so I've always been solutions driven. And, and I really, I, I tire quickly uh, with people who simply find problems and don't uh, try to run on the ground and, and, and bring options. You know, that doesn't mean that there's one solution, but bring options. Just don't say, hey, look, just don't point to it and say it's a problem. Do something about it. And so I ended that letter by saying, um, I'm, I'm will, ready, willing, and able to do it uh, if you'll provide me with the support. And uh, he he didn't answer me for about three months. And then about uh, four months later, he came into my office with, with that letter in hand. And and he he said, OK, let's go do it. And he, he promoted me to, to general manager. Um, you know, you know, at that time, I didn't know this was the case, but shortly after I realized that he was at a point in life where he was ready to exit the business and he knew that he wouldn't be able to uh, extract uh, a premium valuation if we didn't fix some of these things, because a lot of it was around the accounting function, uh, the finance function. Um, your collections, all those things, and all the things that help in your evaluation. And um, so I started on that path of, uh, of leading the effort to sell the business. And you know, that's what we did for the you know, from 02 to 05, and, and then in 06, it, it culminated in a sale, and I got uh, some ownership and I became a partner in the business. And uh, so I owe a great deal of gratitude to Jerry. Uh, Jerry Strickland, he passed away uh, about three years ago. But he is—he uh, was my business mentor, my friend, my sponsor, all rolled up in one. And uh, I've never met a more positive guy. And and two, you know, two days before he passed, I, I had lunch with him, and he was still uh, the most positive individual I've ever met. And so, uh, and just brilliant, brilliant guy. Man, that's that's just incredible. Warms my heart, but you were bold and you led with facts and and that combination of things made all the difference uh, in your career and your story. Let's pivot for a second and talk about uh, the family, the family structure. How important was that? Um, in I know that you sort of rose up the ladder uh, rather quickly in your career. Yeah. Uh, when the family came along and how important has that support system been uh, and what your success has been subsequently in your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's they, it's been amazing. You know, my wife uh, 
has been amazing, um, has always been supportive. Um, she challenges, uh, what I mean by that, you know, critical thought, um, plays devil advocate when she needs to, rightfully so. Uh, but just think about this. Let me give you, let me give you this, this timeline. Okay, we get married May 2004. Uh, we bring home our first baby September, I'm oh, sorry, um, June of 2005. I start grad school July of 2005. And, and, and then uh, we are in the process of preparing, doing road shows to sell a business in 2005. And that continues on until, you know, 2000. Uh, and six, we finally sell the business. We bring home a baby, another baby, February 2007. I graduated in May 2007 and continue to try to grow the business, flying to Boston, flying to New York uh, as a member of the board uh, for the business and dealing with a private equity partners, which that's a challenge in itself. We can talk about that if we have time. Um, so her support has been unwavering. Uh, I still remember when we had our first discussion about grad school, you know, she's pregnant and she says, okay, she says, well, I support your decision, but I reserve the right to be mad. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I can understand that and I appreciate uh, that support. And so, you know, that said, there's not, you know, there hasn't been any kind of uh, major needle moving um, decision that we don't talk about. Um, and, you know, if I have a bias one way or the other, I certainly will share that. But I, but I solicit her counsel uh, on everything and she solicits my counsel on those things as well. Now, uh, we don't let that interfere you know, with the home life. We don't let that interfere uh, with, you know, the respite that, that the home life should represent for any professional. Uh, but, you know, certainly those critical uh, decisions that, uh, you do move the needle or could possibly impact us uh, as, as a family, we talk about and you know, we consider that family and everything that we do because I'm a firm believer that if um, if your family life and, and stuff isn't together, um, it's going to show up um, at, at the office because your family, uh, they're going to love you no matter whether the business is growing or not. They're going to love you. Uh, whether you had a bad day or not, and that should be where you recharge. But sometimes you need them to help you make uh, critical decisions. You need their support. Yeah. So it's been amazing. Jeff, what are one or two important points you might note about selling a business? And then I want you to elaborate a bit about your experience in having to deal with, uh, you know, private equity uh, ownership of businesses. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of selling the business, it, it, you know, it's, you know, we've we've done it twice now. I mean, I, we, so we had so we sold the business in '06. Uh, we worked, we we merged with a similar business um, in '08. So that was kind of a sales process in itself as well, because we got to go and uh, raise the the debt the debt financing uh, for um, um, the debt side of it and uh, for the working capital. Uh, so that uh, was was a was a experience in itself. And then, of course, you know, now um, in 2013, we found our final home, so to speak. Uh, we sold to a large public entity. And so now, um, you, know, I, you know, I am an employee, uh, no longer a partner, uh, other than if I go buy some, some stock, right? And I, I have done that, but nothing of any um, significant percentage-wise. So, so the experience, it, it was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it, it really helps you understand, um, you know, kind of the corporate finance side and how deals are put together, um, and all the kind of backroom uh, thought process of how you evaluate, how you value businesses, you know, you know, what the multiples, those ranges are and how, uh, it's important. Um, you know, everything kind of works together. You know, your collections, your your operations, all that kind of uh, they are they are links in the chain of the 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 value of your business. If you're not doing well from an operating side, if you're not doing well uh, in your collections or all those things, it impacts 
the downstream impact of it impacts uh, the the value downstream. And so that was the real thing that helped me to tie uh, my operations background to something tangible, right? Connecting the dots for all the people who think that their little mundane thing that they do, you know, <laughs> putting together an invoice in a timely fashion, you know, you tie that to, hey, look, you know, doing that in a timely fashion impacts how people value our business. Yeah. How people value our business impacts uh, how we're, we're going to get paid, you know, be it a, a transaction bonus, be it uh, any kind of bonus. And so I think that that closed the loop for me. And so that was uh, an amazing experience, you know, going through, um, you know, the due diligence responses, um, going through, you know, 80 plus uh, different people who looked at our book, um, having to have those meetings and do the presentation to sell the meeting, sell the business, uh, doing that twice, well, three times, really. But the, the toughest part about it was, you know, during the, uh, the first economic downturn that I really kind of, since I've been in leadership, 08, 09 timeframe, it was the resale, you know, really, you know, these, these banks had invested in us and the entire industry was down. And now we have to go resell them on why their investment in us was a good business investment at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, we we were we were busting covenants, financial covenants. And so we had to talk through that. Yeah. The reality is the only covenant we bust was our EBITDA covenant. We 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 had paid down our debt, never missed a payment. But we had to talk through, you know, why the whole world was crashing around everybody. It wasn't just us. And we did have meaning earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, yes. amortization. Cash. Yep. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. And so, and that's, and that was, an, that was kind of interesting to see these, these people who don't know what we do at all. They, yeah. they see us as a box that, you know, their cash went in and cash is coming out. They don't really know what we do. And so that was an interesting experience to, to educate them. And so that, so that whole chain and whole process was uh, really great in my development. So throughout that, you know, I had some run-ins with our private equity partners uh, because again, if you, the, the, the theme of my life is that I just kind of stick to the facts and I let those facts speak for themselves. So I was um, in the mode of, hey, look, we need to set the new normal. We need to set the new benchmarks. What we, what we thought we were gonna do over the next couple of years is not gonna happen. And here's why. And, you know, they were more Hey, let's just kind of kick the can. Let's not talk about that. And you know, so we just we didn't really uh, align. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they their investment was a good investment for them. Um, they challenged me in ways uh, that I had not been challenged, and I needed to be challenged as a leader. Uh, they helped me to think more strategically about the business and to think uh, more strategically about growth. And, and leverage the pool to get that growth. And so um, it was a great um, experience for me in my development. Jeff, you know, this has been a remarkable uh, story for me to learn about uh, personally. Uh, you know, going from operations to climate to the financial side to the big picture of why businesses exist in the first place, which is to make money. Mm -hmm. and, Obviously, everybody doesn't get to be in the room, uh, but along the way, I think there have been some critical elements that you've shared, uh, one of them being the importance of mentors and sponsors. Uh, so I know that uh, it's something that you deeply believe in. What are some of the things you're doing to mentor or sponsor others, and what advice do you have for people in seeking out a mentor or and uh, a sponsor. Yeah, I, I would I would just simply say, um, don't take um, that process of, of seeking lightly, and, and don't um, be quick uh, to to tie on to someone who quote unquote 
um, is a mentor. I think you need to, you know, spot, you really have developed that relationship over time, uh, get to know them, um, make sure that their ethics, um, their integrity align with how you want your life to be. Because there's no worse, in my opinion, there's no worse mentor relationship that is aligned on those very basic fundamental uh, elements of our character. And so for me, again, I, I was fortunate enough to have a sponsor and a mentor wrapped up in one individual from a business side. Uh, he, he made it his business uh, to expose me to parts of the business that uh, he didn't have to. You know, he had family members in the business that, that weren't exposed to some of the things he exposed me to. He, he, he wrote the check from our graduate school. And so it's just, you know, that was just a, a really just truly a blessing. And so I was able to always talk to him. He would give me as a mentor, he would give me um, his advice from his experiences. Um, and he would challenge me to think differently. Um, and it wasn't always, yes, you're right, Jeff. It was, you know, you need to think about this differently and here's why. Um, and he didn't shy away from the tough conversations with me and that helped develop me. You know, you don't want someone who's always going to tell you yes, who's always going to say that's the best thing they've ever seen. Uh, you want someone who's going to provide you with sound counsel and sound counsel is diverse. It's going to tell you if it's good. It's going to tell you if it's bad. It's going to tell you if it's ugly. It's going to tell you if you need to start over, but in a loving way, because they care about you and your development. Now, from a sponsor's perspective, that person or people, they're going to be in the room when you're not in the room, and they're going to be your biggest champion. They're going to help open doors for you, uh, and they're going to push you as long as you can make them look good, you know, I think that um, you to secure sponsors, you're going to make them look good. They want to be looked at as, hey, look, you know, that guy brought this person in and that person did a great job. He, he can see talent mm -hmm. he, or she can. They do well uh, with you know, bringing forth good talent. And so the two roles are, are somewhat different. You know, I think I think the mentor role is, is probably deeper. It's a, it's a deeper connectivity. Uh, the sponsor role is going to help advance your career, uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, faster. But I think the both both of them are very important and don't take them lightly. And, and you know, so many times I go to these meetings or I engage with people and they, you know, they've known me for less than an hour. And I say, hey, you might be my mentor. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, I, you need to get to know me. Right. And I, I need to get to know you. And I think that is the, the, the missing piece. And I think that it can be done over time. And but you got to you got to be really straightforward and say, look, this is what I need. I need a mentor. And I know that we don't know one another, but I'd like to get to know you over time. And they have to have a, a vested interest in your development in order for it to be successful. Very well said. Uh, Jeff, help us peer into your future. What's your long-term big picture? And then yeah. any closing remarks you want to offer? Sure, sure. Um, I thought about this um, because, you know, last year at this time, we were um, right in the middle of a you know, kind of a record year. You know, we were outpacing, you know, 2018 substantially, uh, outpacing our budget, um, what we thought substantially. Uh, and that carried into uh, Q1 of 2020. We outpaced budget and outpaced um, last year's comparative quarter. And then, you know, the effects of uh, COVID-19 hit and uh, demand for our customers, which uh, oil and gas dropped off of a cliff. You know, for various reasons and rightfully so you know people need to stay home people need to stay safe all those things but in a consumer driven economy uh to to say consumers stay at home it's like flipping a switch 
uh, for refined products, gasoline, transportation, fuels, airlines, all these things. And so, as they say, you know, when when um, when refineries catch a cold, we catch pneumonia, right? It, so it's just it's everybody that feeds off of that industry. We are one of those uh, are impacted as well. And so when when I think about what's long term or what's next, it's my focus really is what's now. You know, you, know, you get into this mode of survival. And so I haven't had much time to to think about, you know, what what life looks like uh, beyond this pandemic. Other than I want, want my people to be safe, I want them to uh, take the necessary precautions. And and so it's so it's interesting how your focus is um, around things that are not really your business, but they are things that absolutely can impact your business. And that is you know, the kind of the unknown that some people don't see when you talk about running a business. You spend more than half your time with things that don't really, that are not directly your business. They're indirectly impacting your business. So for me, um, you know, as an individual, you know, I've spent you know, the majority of my life chasing success uh, with some measure of that, you know, so here forward, it's more about significance for me. It's about, you know, through our philanthropic uh, efforts, uh, our focus on you know, helping people um, and kids get an education. Um, and you know, that is what is going to be important to me as an individual that, you know, when I'm gone, people don't have to lie about my life. <laughs> they tell the truth. And when they tell the truth, uh, it's something that is of some significance and something that's going to last, not because I want it to be for me. It's just that, you know, somewhere, 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 someone was, uh, a, you know, made better because of an engagement uh, that I may have had with them as an individual or someone that I know, you know, paid it forward from something that, you know, I was a part of. And, and if I can raise, you know, two, you know, children uh, that that have that same level of passion for people and making sure people uh, are are taken care of and they're good people um, and they contribute to society. I think that uh, I, I would have been blessed beyond measure and and done all I could do. Leading with facts and acting with courage. My guest today has been Jeffrey Weber, president of Altair Strickland. This is Lalu Davis Yamaton, and you've been listening to my brother podcast. Thank you. Jeff. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah.